Hello there and welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Sarah from Sarah Faruya Coaching and this is the Legends Podcast. I believe there are many, many ways to lead a life and everybody has stories and I want to tell them and share them. These legends are a collection of people who I have found during my 20 years in Tokyo and before. All of them are brilliant people. And when I became bored with reading another billionaire's biography, I thought I want to tell the stories of the people who I meet who are absolutely fascinating, but you won't see on your regular podcast interview. They have overcome obstacles, both systemic and internal, and we cover all kinds of things from creativity, grief, racism, business, disaster, loss, trolling, infertility, farming, eating disorder, eco-feminism, and more. We have elite athletes, people who live on Zen temples in remote parts of Japan, BBC newscaster to Taekwondo champion. Please enjoy these amazing stories from what they've overcome, from what they've built, from what they've created, from the way that they talk. I'm just delighted thinking about it. So please get stuck in and enjoy this next legend. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to the Legends Podcast with Sarah Faruya at Sarah Faruya Coaching. There are many, many ways to lead a life, and everybody has stories, and I want to hear them and tell them so we can all create or design uh, a work style and a lifestyle that we can be proud of. And today I'm welcoming uh, a, a lovely, lovely guest, uh, the amazing Jessica Quarterman. She's based in Melbourne. At the moment, it's uh, mid-November, probably month nine of the COVID uh, outbreak of 2020. So we've just been talking about that. It's a beautiful day here in uh, Japan. I live by the seaside Zushi in Japan near Kamakura. And Jess is based in Melbourne at the moment, but she has a fascinating story about all of her travels and her life and her her family stories and I'm really looking forward to digging into those so good morning Jess. Good morning Sarah thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So a little bit about Jessica before we move on with our first question so Jessica is an Australian writer formerly based in Tokyo Japan and now she's residing in Melbourne. She's traveled more than 50 countries about half of them solo and circumnavigated the globe three times (laughs) once by plane once by ship and the other mostly overland. In 2009, she moved to Tokyo with her husband and started her blog, Notes of Nomads. In 2011, to document what was happening on the ground in Japan after the Tohoku earthquakes, tsunami and nuclear disaster. Um, The blog then blossomed into tales from all her travels and won best writing of a weblog in the 14th annual Bloggies Awards in 2014. Oh, it's epic. I didn't realize that. <laughs> or I did, and I'd, uh, I'd dragged and dropped it somewhere. <laughs> Her work has been featured on Lonely Planet, NHK, that's the uh, Japanese equivalent of BBC, um, Intrepid Travel, Singapore Airlines in Flight Magazine, Silver Chris, and various other print and online media. Nowadays, she's passionate about pushing the envelope on women in travel and redefining what it means to be a solo female traveler in her latest blogging adventure, Travel Solo Anyway. 
where she discusses traveling solo, maintaining independence as a married woman and now as a new mum. Although there hasn't been a great deal of traveling this year, sadly. <laughs> so we're all Very innovating. True. We were just talking <laughs> before we got on the uh, on the on the call there about how we're innovating our businesses or how she's specifically innovating her business to to um, allow for the 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 what would you call it the the uh, aftermath of of covid and being kind of grounded if you like um all of her links to her blogs and her youtubes etc will be linked in the show notes um i think jessica's absolutely fantastic i've known her for a few years she attended one of my workshops and then we became uh, kind of conspirators if you like and um i will be hiring her in the future um for various things that she's not she's not publicizing them so it's I'll keep that on the down low for now <laughs> so um let's get into it I'm so excited about today because we've also done some other stuff together haven't we we've been through a course together and you can mention that later if you want to and we've been through kind of some transformational thinking processes together and which we're still kind of working through as mm -hmm. as well as being uh, the member of a, a very um special circle of, of people who who um, coach together. So um, Jess, I'm going to get get stuck in now with you. Could you please introduce yourself to us? Tell us about your background, your ancestry, childhood, and just take it wherever you want to. Yeah, sure. Well, hello, everyone. Um, as uh, Sarah said, I'm Jessica Quarterman. Um, I'm a travel writer. And, you know, my story really begins uh, about 150 kilometers from where I am now. Um, I'm currently in Melbourne, as Sarah said, um, but I grew up in countryside Victoria in a place called Bendigo. And I lived uh, there until I was 18. So, you know, during my uh, formative years um, and, you know, during my childhood, I was living in, at the time, a very, I mean, it still is quite a rural area I was living a bit outside of Bendigo so um, you know we had always had a lot of space we had a lot of animals um, I even had my own sheep <laughs> so we had a lot of uh, I grew up with a lot of space a lot of time outdoors um, building cubby houses and just you know putting on the gumboots in the morning and walking out and you know playing with all the animals and things like that so you know that sort of uh, I guess country life um, was something that was a big part of my my upbringing and uh, you know just hanging out with the neighborhood kids and we were you know of this sort of uh, the generation where you know you just wander down the street and you knew that somebody was looking after you <laughs> my mom knew that someone was looking after us one of the neighborhood um, how we would we'd be at one of the neighborhood houses so yeah basically um, I grew up in sort of a countryside location and then you know for for high school went into town <laughs> we had to take there was only one school bus um, that could take us there we didn't have any public transportation certainly not at the time so uh, you know taking the school bus into town and basically completed uh, in in my town there was actually it, it's an interesting situation they have um, basically you do for, we have a system where we have basically four years um, at public school, uh, public high school, and then everyone kind of feeds into one senior secondary college, which is two years. Um, and at the senior secondary college, um, 
I really, really enjoyed my time there because it was very, very much like university life. Mm. Um, and, you know, we, we called our teachers by their first names. We had no uniform. We could come and go off campus, you know, come and go as we pleased. What we did with our time was up to us. If we didn't show up to class, that was on us, you know. So it was um, very much, I think, a good stepping stone for what university life is. Um, because I did find that, you know, when I did go on to university, there were a lot of people around me who kind of struggled with that huge transition going from, you know, a high school situation where you're coddled a little bit to being absolutely free to do whatever you want. And some people struggled with not having, um, not having somebody there to, to guide them as much as they did during high school. So I think having those last two years in that kind of scenario was, was very, very helpful um, to me. Um, and, you know, during those last couple of years, I did have a very strong sense about what I wanted to do going forward in terms of I knew the area, like I've always wanted to, I've always been drawn to the humanities and the arts. Mm -hmm. um, the math and science areas um, were definitely, I did the minimum <laughs> you had to do to, <laughs> to, to, um, to, you know, finish your high school um, certificate. Um, I, and I knew that was definitely not the path I wanted to take. Exactly where I wanted to go, I wasn't sure, but I knew 100% it was going to be something to do with the, uh, with the humanities area, maybe international development. I was mm. very into politics, political science. Mm. Um, so I was really, anything that involved like reading, reading, writing, researching, mm -hmm. I knew that was the sort of area that I wanted to go into. It's interesting, me too. I mean, sciences and arts were like my, my like, least favorite least talented things and yeah, yeah. I study them because I falsely thought I wanted to be a doctor so yeah. um, my 16 to 18 year old studies were maths chemistry biology and then like in some kind of uh, then general studies and in some kind of uh, attempt to to claw back something from the other side I did try to do French A level as well <laughs> it was a disaster but um I mean you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm quite glad I've got that kind of scientific routing now because it really helps to inform the way that I work now. As, as you know, as you know, I like to touch in, I like to touch in kind of some otherworldly areas, but touch, mm -hmm. but it's always, it's always grounded in some kind of, you know, scientific background. So I'm, I'm grateful for it now, but oh my God, I hear you. I hear you so much. And I just always wish that I'd done something differently. And I think that's a great, it's a great realization to have there, but Good on you, humanities. I have a question for you. Yes. How many children were in your family and what? where are you in the order? Yeah, so there are three kids. I'm uh, the oldest. Uh -huh. um, and so next is my brother, yeah. um, who's three years younger than me. And then my sister, who's five years younger than me. Okay. How do you think that's influenced you? Um, oh, I'm an I eldest think it, girl too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I always... Uh, I felt, and you know, some of this is self-imposed. I felt a strong sense of uh, being, you know, responsible or being, you know, like a, sort of a perfectionist and, and, you know, wanting to make my parents proud. And um, I sometimes felt like my siblings got away with stuff, you know, like I had to push so hard for my parents to let me do stuff, you know, being the first child, like I really wanted to, you know, like 
get this done, get my ears pierced or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I had to like fight, fight, fight. But then it's like, oh, your sister can get it done at the same time or like through there, you know, like that kind of thing. And so um, I definitely felt that like as a, as a first child, you're kind of like, I guess uh, you're, you're kind of, uh, you're working this out with your parents, right? Because yeah. Yeah. yeah their experience, yeah. You're they're kind of seeing how it goes. Right. And, um, and so, yeah, of course things were slightly slight things change as, as you have subsequent children. Right. And, and yeah. your, your views change or, um, you know, now that you've got an older sibling, okay, they can, you can go do those things because you have someone to look out for you kind of thing. So it's kind of like working those things out together with your with your parents and um, kind of you're, you're the one who has to kind of push the envelope yeah. <laughs> at first to see where it goes. Yeah. And now you're an adult. Do you, do you realize that you're like, oh, they they didn't know what they were doing. They were just trying to work it out because that's what yeah. I like now. I can see like that they were just what's going on. They were so young when they had me as well. And, yes. you know, um, my brother was able to I wouldn't say he was able to get away with more. It was just that they knew what they were doing. And he was also a boy. And, you know, and he just and he was able to watch us and learn how to do them, too. So, you know, yes. it, it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. I think maybe they they became slightly more relaxed, right? As yeah. as you've done things more and more, it's like yeah, um, found their groove in parenting. Yeah. yeah, and parenting wasn't even a word back then, was it? No, <laughs> just getting. Yeah. Oh, brilliant! So that responsible perfectionist came through from that. So you went on to university where you'd got this advantage of having already had this kind of transition time during your time living in the countryside. Um, animals farms like what do you think the influence of all all that was because I my understanding is that when you live on a farm um life and death and cycles are very close to you all the time yes absolutely yeah I mean I it influ influenced me in many ways I think I mean I've I've I was used to like you know getting my hands dirty you know like um I wasn't afraid to kind of dig into things. I'm not afraid of things like insects or, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, when you are on a farm, like, I mean, the amount of animals that passed when I was a child, you know, like um, it's something that you become used to. Like I had just, you know, go outside and go to feed my rabbits and discover that, oh, one of them has, has died and then having to, you know, bury it and, you know, like deal with that and, I do have one very strong recollection when I was quite young of, um, we had a whole flock of sheep at that time. And I remember they became fly blown. So they all had to be put down. And I just remember sitting in the house while one of our neighbors came and like just the, the shots from the rifle, just shooting the whole flock. And I still remember it to this day. Um, but it wasn't something that I, I don't remember crying about it or, or anything like that it was just like oh well this has happened this is what we have to do this is the most humane way to deal with it um and yeah you do become sort of uh you understand that there's a, a cycle of life and death and that um you know not everything is forever um and I think that yeah that's something that has also stayed with me too and also has made me want I think to to really take advantage of, of opportunities in my life as well, because um, I've just, I know that nothing is forever or there are opportunities that you know, are coming up that, you know, I feel that I should follow them while I can. Mm. That's so funny. I just had this awful flush in my head there of the silence of the lambs. I'm sure you've heard, <laughs> thought of this before. 
<laughs> yeah. They're eating the, and the lambs and they're screaming. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, God, it's not even half past eight and we've got into... We've already, <laughs> gone, that, we've already gone down that road. <laughs> yeah. But all these things, that, that then that just makes me, in the bigger picture, realise that the things that we see in movies and stuff aren't, aren't, aren't born out of nowhere. And you're not telling me you have some kind of deep trauma there, although, like, you know, Hannibal lets you use that as some kind of psychological leverage to kind of get into her head and stuff like that, which is also <laughs> funny, isn't it? But, like, um, yeah, it's just... I'm constantly thinking, ah, making making patterns and joining the dots between like what happens here and what happens here. It's yeah. very funny. Oh, what an interesting childhood. And you know, I was talking to a friend yesterday actually, and at pains of not trying to sound like my day kind of thing, but we were talking. We, she's a bit younger than me, but maybe eight years younger than me, and we were both raised in the UK. She in Scotland and me in England, and. Um, we're just saying how lucky we were when we were young because, you know, we'd be put out in the morning during the school holidays and told to come back for lunch. And then we'd have a couple of sandwiches and some soup and then we'd be put out again until dinner time. And we had like, you were like, you weren't allowed to go beyond X road or Y road. And there were certain places you weren't allowed, don't go in that park or this park. But it wasn't like, and we had a big park over the road to us. <laughs> there was like, a, it was rugby pitches and there was a rugby hut there. We called it the hut. And they'd say, don't go by the hut because there's bad men there hanging around behind the hut. It wasn't, you can't go out because there's bad men out there. It's like, you can go out, but just stay away from where the, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, uh, the pervs are. <laughs> and it's, it's, and I'm grateful for that because we, it was just, I don't know, you just, you just learn a lot. It widens your horizons and it sounds yeah. like you have something similar as well. And, and it was just, it was just a, like a little group of kids it wasn't that we were with an adult who was taking us around there we were on our own playing out you know we'd go around <laughs> to each other's houses and ring the bell and call you know can carol come out to play yeah and then you'd go out and then you'd go to somebody else's house and then you'd all be out in the fields doing whatever i think it's uh i don't know i think it's a shame these days yeah these days it's <laughs> yeah it's definitely something that I've grown to value a lot you right. know like when I was uh younger especially in my teenage years you know obviously you know I was thinking about you know my future and where I wanted to go and I was like already feeling like I wanted to you know I wanted to travel the world and like how can I get out of this place mm -hmm. right um but now I've really come to value the fact that I grew up in that kind of area and that I did have that childhood that carefree wild childhood where I just went off wherever and just could use my imagination um you know just use whatever was around there was always bits of scrap wood or whatever and just like making stuff and um just just really not worrying about like any of the things that are um things that we have to think about these days like we didn't have to think about social media or mobile phones or you know any of that kind of stuff so just really being free from any of that stuff not having any of that media influence in a way um and just i mean apart from you know tv and things like that but it really we really did spend a lot of time outside a lot of times a lot of time using our imagination and we were allowed to get bored you know yeah it was like you know and which i yeah. think a lot of kids don't ha necessarily have the opportunity to now um, now that they have access to their own screens and things like that. So, you know, just 
allowing ourselves to be bored allowed us to be very creative, um, you know, and we, we made our own fun. And I think that that also helped, you know, create, helped my creative process and my creative mind as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, same. So if we weren't outside, if it was a rainy day, we were in our rooms. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So That's right. I, we, I think we had, my dad made a massive blackboard along one wall and we would draw whole towns and cities on it and stuff, you know, just, yeah, that, and you've mentioned the word imagination a few times. So wh where do you think that, where do you think that itch to travel came from? That, that, yeah. Yeah, because I've, I've felt it from a very young age. You know, I was always fascinated by, um, you know, any programs on TV that were showing other parts of the world. I remember Sunday night, there was always some kind of documentary on TV. So like Sunday night, we'd always sit around and watch like some, you know, David Attenborough documentary or, you know, some you know, historical cultural like program or something like that. And I just felt this need to, to go. Um, and I'm not sure exactly where it started from, but I do have this fascination with other places and other people and cultures. Um, and, you know, maybe it's, it came from the fact that I read a lot as a child and I kind of my imagination went to so many different places and I just, I wanted to experience some of that for myself. Um, and yeah, so I'm maybe through like the world of books and just being in a place where I didn't know much outside of it actually made me think a lot about what else is out there um, because we didn't really have that much else to go on. There wasn't that, there weren't that many distractions, to be honest, when I was that young, like there was, this is before internet and, you know, and before smartphones and things. So, you know, we didn't, basically I was learning about things through, through books and, you know, some of these programs I was seeing on TV and it just fascinated me so much. Um, and so I just have this innate desire to, I which came from, from reading, I think. And just, I remember just going through, Encyclopedia Britannica's that my, my dad picked up a whole set, you know, from a garage sale or something and just like going through them and just thinking, yeah. wow, there's this whole wide world out there and how fascinating, you know? Yeah. Um, and so just somewhere in there, it just, I felt this, this pull to it. Um, yeah. 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 It's funny, isn't it? Cause it, it, I like to kind of try and follow the breadcrumbs back and try and find where those little indicators are that that kind of thing is interesting to people I, I when I was young my mum went to college and she you know so she had a little group of 10 college friends or 15 college friends they still to this day meet up not this year obviously and they go off to a hotel together and have their girls weekend you know doing the same <laughs> and um and I can remember like she would tell me who's who you know so there was like so and so who married a lord and lives in a castle for example you know and I'd be like oh that's interesting we went round to a friend's house and she had a swimming pool and I was like oh this is nice isn't it and my mum was like oh I think I married the wrong man and I was like oh really because I was thinking I would get a house like this and pay for it myself you know like so there's that kind of already I've got this kind of like oh no, no, I think I was 11 or 12 or something. <laughs> I looked about 30. And then, you know, and then she'd be like, oh, and then, you know, you, you, your godmother, Auntie Mashi, she's been all over the world um, doing marathons and she won a video because she won a marathon, a video, a video recorder. This was like, what? In Japan, seed sown. And, <laughs> you know, and I was like, 
oh, like that made me lean in, you know? And then there was like somebody else, her friend Kate lived in Hong Kong, Hong Kong. Oh, and then there was somebody else like who, who like, she was like, oh, and she's the one who really always wears really interesting clothes. She doesn't dress like the rest of us. And I was like, who's that? <laughs> you know, so all these little breadcrumbs are behind, you know, behind you leading you to where you are today. And those were, those things came out of nowhere. Those things came out of my, did you use the word innate intuition from something innate from your instincts being like, oh, this is interesting. Mm. Interesting, eh? Yeah. Definitely. I'm mix. So I'm mixing Japanese. There, ne means isn't it in Japanese? <laughs> All right. Um, so let's move on then. So, what did you study at university? And how I did studied. That yeah, yeah. So I decided on uh, international studies, mm -hmm. um, and you know, it was in the humanities area that I was interested in. And I specifically chose uh, the international studies course at RMIT in Melbourne because uh, there was. Uh, there was a international internship as part of the program. Um, and so I knew that there were chances for me to study abroad or to do some research abroad. And that really spoke to me. Um, and also the course had a, a language component that was mandatory. Um, and so these were all things that I wanted to do. And um, so specifically, I, I chose this program over programs in, at other universities at the time, because I felt like there was such a practical element to it. And I would be able to finally step out and um, go see the world, basically, um, and have that part of, uh, part of my um, education during university years. So um, I, I was able to do that. I did study also at Melbourne University. I did part of my degree there, um, fortunately, because uh, the universities had an agreement with each other because I had to do a language. I had no choice in my course. Um, and I wanted to do Indonesian because I had studied it since I was about nine or 10 years old. And um, you know, at that point, you know, I'd done it all through my high school years and it was the obvious choice to continue on with it at university. And, and Melbourne University has a brilliant um, Indonesian language program or with native, uh, native Indonesian speakers, uh, professors. And um, I was able to, to get into that program and then have what I did there credited to my degree at RMIT. Um, so that, that was wonderful. And um, so yeah, essentially I did those, those three years. It was still, I mean, as much as it was, it was, a little bit easier for me, I think, because I had that experience in high school where we had this very um, easygoing education system and where we sort of, you know, had to be, had to look after ourselves, essentially. It was still difficult because I did move from my country hometown to Melbourne. And I came here not really, you know, like basically moving out of home, moving into a place in the city by myself. I didn't really know anyone. Um, although I do have some relatives scattered around, but I was moving to a place where I didn't know anyone. And, you know, I had to find a job. I, I didn't have a job when I moved. And I basically didn't know how I was going to work it out. <laughs> I essentially went there and arrived. And I remember the first night, like when my mom and my sister dropped me off there and then they, they drove off. And I just thought, okay, wow, like, you know, you've been thinking about this for such a long time, you know, it's going to happen. I knew I was going to move to Melbourne for my university degree. But when it actually happened, and I was sitting there that first night in the apartment, just thinking, well, what do I do now? You know, like, what, what am I going to do now? And um, 
so basically, you know, I sort of, that first night was, I felt strange. Like it felt very strange to, to be alone, but then, you know, I, I got to work and I was like, okay, need to go find a job. So I had over the summer been working at a department store in my hometown for a couple of months to save up a bit of money to, uh, for the move. And so I just decided to go into, they have the same department store um, in, in the city and much bigger than the one I was used to. Um, but I thought, you know, what the heck, I'll just walk in and see what, see, I walk into HR. Um, and so I just walked into HR and, and I, I bumped into someone on the way in uh, and he said, can I help you? And I said, well, well actually I'm you know, interested in finding, you know, uh, you know, I'm getting a job here and, you know, finding out about the process of hiring. And he said, okay, well, I might have a job for you. And so he just walked me down. It turns out he's a, he was a manager at the, at the department store. And it turns out that he HR. actually knew, sorry? What's HR? HR, uh, like human resource, human resources. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the HR at the... At the, the, at the uh, yes, yes. So I basically yeah. went into the back offices, like knocked on, you know, that door and, and went in and, and said, you know, uh, I'd like to, to find out about, you know, any positions here. And it turns out that this person actually knew my manager from the country hometown and just gave him a call on the spot and said, hey, I've got Jessica here. And then there was silence for a couple of minutes while he did like his reference or whatever. And then he got off the phone. He's like, okay, if you want a job, you're hired. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, yeah, the following week, I was already like working, you know, on the floor. Uh, it was not... Uh, an area that I thought I'd be working in because, you know, when I was working in the, uh, in, in the country hometown, I, I was working in uh, like the shoe department, lady shoes department. And I was thinking, okay, they're going to put me in lady shoes or clothing or something. I don't know. Um, but it turned out that this position would be in the electronics department. And it's not something that I really know much about. Um, but I was working, you know, the registers and things, so it was fine. And, you know, I'd already had that experience um, using them in, in Bendigo. So it was, you know, not such a huge transition for me. Um, but, you know, obviously my, my world expanded a lot because I just, I was suddenly had, you know, all these like co-workers and, you know, I started expanding my uh, friendship group. And um, also, you know, I was now in a, in a, in a place where, I had a very diverse uh, range of people around me, you know, in my country hometown, very Caucasian and didn't have so many opportunities to really learn about other peoples and cultures. And, you know, when I moved to Melbourne and particularly in my department, there were people from all over the world. So again, there was something there that was very interesting to me as well, where I, I expanded my horizons so much just by being in that environment with different people from different backgrounds. And interestingly enough, this is where I met Ty, my now husband. <laughs> so things kind of all weirdly came together uh, in this way. So uh, he was working in the video games department there and uh, I was working on the registers right next to him. So basically all of those sales, like I would be doing the register work for that. And yeah, so we were, we were working together for a couple of years before we started dating. Um, and yeah, that was sort of like the beginning of our relationship. And I was quite young at the time. I was like 20 going on about 21. 
um, at the time when we when we first started dating. Um, and yeah, so it's, it was interesting how the job came together and subsequently I didn't know at the time, but <laughs> yeah, that I was meeting people who would influence the rest of my life. Amazing. Wow, what an, what an interesting story. I love this so much. I love <laughs> hearing all these like origin stories. This is the first time I'm hearing this one. But I have a, a question about working in a ladies' shoe department. That must be quite humbling in a way. Yeah, it was intense. You know, it was, uh, it was, I mean, it was always such a, I, I always found lady shoes to be quite different to other departments that I worked in, like, especially in the country store, like we would work, we'd, we'd sometimes be sent to other departments and things. So it was a very small store. Um, and I always found like things to be quite, quite interesting in the lady shoes department. And a lot of conversations were had and a lot of, uh, it was always a bit, a bit frantic. There was always people coming in and, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to put my finger on, but it was, a, it's a different vibe, I think, to, to the work I was doing when I, when I moved, I'd sometimes do like, I'd pick up a shift here or there in other departments and it felt like it was very, very different. And usually in the ladies department, you are surrounded by other women. Um, they they stereotypically put women in these departments. So I was around basically all other women. But then when I went to the electronics department, I was one of a handful of women. Mm. Um, so it was a very, very different dynamic. Um, and I was, uh, you know, it, it's just, it just uh, allowed me to, again, expand my horizons, again, having lots of, diff lots of interactions with different people from different backgrounds also with uh with men as well and and just it just taught me so much about you know yeah. different people and how you know just about the world it was it was very very interesting to suddenly then be I guess in the minority in a non non-typical area I don't want to say that but yeah. based on the uh you know um the numbers in the minority in that area and 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 sort of yeah what that meant and basically doing my work in such a way that you know showed that I was just as capable as anyone else to be doing this kind of work I can sell you know a, a game console or I can sell a tv you know it's it, it's something that you know it's not restricted to any sort of um, one particular person but yeah it's it's um yeah definitely I don't recommend working in lady shoes during sale time <laughs> It's just, it's very intimate, I think, in a way, because it's really, I don't know. And also there's just, just very straightforward hygiene stuff as well. But yes, um, yes. Um, but like, it's, it's intimate. It can be embarrassing for the person who's trying on shoes. You know, that you, you have to provide the little socks that people socks, yes. trying the shoes on and everything. It's just kind of, it's, it's a whole thing, right? But then I hadn't really made the connection between being surrounded by just women who work in those departments and the conversations that would happen there versus being working in a tech department and learning how to do that and talk about that and the kind of conversations that go on there all of these things will kind of build neither one is no value judgments on that it's just different and it yes. just two different capabilities moving forward and I worked in pubs when I was at university so and I we had our pubs near the crown court and so I got to speak to everybody from like QCs and solicitors, lawyers to 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 the to the 
to the people who were in the dock, to the criminals. Mm -hmm. uh, they were usually drinking together, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not even joking. But um, <clears throat> so, you know, I just got this really broad and this really interesting way of kind of moving across that and, uh, you know, ch chatting away to, to one person and then turning around and quoting a philosopher to another and, you know, kind of being able to, yeah, to work across all those all those different um what would you call it like social boundaries and stuff like mm -hmm. that and, and i'm hearing that from you as well like there's this kind of breadth that we get from saturday jobs or you know the jobs we do to supplement our our, our university life or the job that we have when we come out of university and we're like and what now <laughs> do you know? yes yeah i don't want to be a psychologist or a biologist in my point in my in my situation at that time i didn't know you know I've moved back into the psychology area, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, joining the dots backwards is interesting, isn't it? Is it is interesting, yeah, yeah. So you met Hi, what happens next? Yes, so now we're nearing the end of my university degree and um, I actually received a, a job offer at the end of that time. So um, one of my well, it wasn't a job offer to begin with. It was simply to uh, to join um, a one-day event with an international branch of the university. Um, that basically there was a group of Indonesian journalists who were in Melbourne, and they needed someone who spoke the language. So, just, and, just so were you fluent in Indonesian? Um, I. I was at a point, <laughs> but uh, now I haven't used it so much. So um, I definitely need to get back into reading a bit more to pick it back up again. But yeah, I at the uh, at that time, I uh, they needed somebody to be interviewed for like these journalists to interview, and so they uh, my university professor said, oh, you know, I've heard about this. I know that you speak Indonesian, um, and would you be interested in doing it? And I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll go along. So I went along for the day and I remember walking in and there was this single chair in the center of the room. And then just, it was like the paparazzi, <laughs> like oh, the whole like room was full of Indonesian journalists from different papers and things. And then they just started firing questions and we just did this whole thing for like in a Indonesia. couple of hours. Yeah. Wow. And at the end of it, they're like, do you want to come work for us? <laughs> and I said, okay, like, let's, let's talk about it. So I ended up then going straight into um, working at the university um, as an interpreter and translator for all of these groups that were coming in. So we had, uh, it, there were some amazing projects I got to be a part of because um, this part of the university basically did development work and capacity building work. They would put in tenders for big projects that were worth, you know, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars and they would basically fund these programs to bring people out from various different countries around the world. And specifically, I was working with the Indonesian uh, groups. So um, we would get groups coming out, yeah, like who were uh, journalists, like doctors and healthcare workers who were, you know, studying at our hospitals and things to learn our systems and, and ways of doing things. And, you know, basically my job was to make sure that uh, the project ran smoothly here. I would, you know, take them all to their hotels and get bank accounts set up for them and like basically answer any of their questions and, you know, help them out with, with uh, whatever they needed. And that was a, a wonderful 
experience for me because, you know, I was really able to use something that, you know, I think there's like a lot of people study languages at school and then don't have the opportunity then to use them um, outside of that, or they maybe they decide not to, but it was, I was able to just like run with it and just have these amazing opportunities and be in a place where they had the funding to do amazing things. And I got to be a part of it at such a young age to just step right into that was really, you know, and I was still working at the department store at the time because, and I um, ended up because I was working full time and I often had to be doing things out, out of hours for this job. I ended up um, letting go of, of the uh, department store work and just uh, doing this. Um, and I did this um, basically for six or so months. And crazily, I decided, <laughs> some people might think, I decided to, to leave to go travel the world. And I, it was very hard because what a, what a great job I had, what a great opportunity, you know, and, you know, the money was good and I was doing something that I really did enjoy. And the people I met, I still speak to many of them to this day. Um, I know that I have reporters in Indonesia. I can call anytime if I need, if I need coverage on something in Indonesia. And so it's, uh, it was something that was really impactful and it was definitely hard to leave because logically it made no sense. And yeah. it didn't make sense to a lot of the people around me because they're like, why would you give up a great job? You yeah. know? Um, and you've just studied for three years to, you know, um, you know, the conventional path is then to go get a job. And, um, but there was something that was just so, something that was calling me so strongly that it didn't matter. It didn't matter. I just had to, I had to go. And at that time, you know, it's sort of like high was, uh, thinking about doing something different you know he was feeling a little bit like he wasn't sure where he wanted to go with his life and he hadn't traveled before and he really wanted to you know maybe do something a bit different as well and you know I definitely knew that I wanted to go out and travel um, I had done at the end of my first year of university I spent um, about a month in Bangladesh doing some development work there and then I went on uh, solo to do um, another uh, about six weeks in India and I'd been really like wanting to get back to India uh, ever since. And so, you know, I was at this point where I'm like, I definitely want to travel. I want to go to India. And he said, I'm really interested in going to Japan. And so this is where the seeds of Japan start coming in for me. You know, um, it's not a place that I had ever thought about going to, not because I didn't want to, I just never thought about it. It just was not one of those countries that had come up on my radar yet. And uh, so, we just started planning this trip together. Like, why don't we just go together? Um, and so, yeah, as I said, like I had, you know, India on my list, he had Japan on his list. And I was like, well, I've got to go to Indonesia because every time I would meet someone, um, you know, these, these groups that were coming out, they said, how long have you spent in Indonesia? And I said, actually, I've never been. And they're like, what, <laughs> how is that possible? Like, and how did you, how, like, you know, um, and you speak this language and things. I was like, no, I actually, I've never been. And um, so I'm like, I, I really want to go. Like I should go, <laughs> I should go. So we had these three countries that we wanted to go to, India, Japan, Indonesia. Um, and we looked into, you know, tickets for these, um, these places. And, you know, this, this sort of uh, um, 
path, this route was very unusual and it was going to cost quite a lot of money for us to be able to, uh, like on the flights, because it was quite a, an interesting, um, it's not a, not a usual um, route. So we looked into it we're like, well, for this money, we could get around the world ticket and we can go to heaps more places. Um, so then we just started expanding. <laughs> we just started expanding this trip until it became a six and a half month trip that took us yeah around the world. Um, and with the round the world ticket, you stop off in you know, basically every continent. And um, so we decided to go out on this big trip together. And you know, this is a huge test, I think, for any relationship, um, any at any time, I think. But maybe especially as a, a young relationship, it really tests like how and you learn so much about each other very very quickly and this is this is a trip that I sort of credit to how close we are now as a couple because we learned so much about each other in that short space of time we were together 24 hours a day and in the most you know some of like very stressful situations you know like a situation where we haven't slept for days or we haven't you know we're you know like uh facing you know problems on the road and you know, we have to work out how to fix them, how to, you see what that other person is like under pressure, how they are, um, you know, in all kinds of different situations. Um, so that became like a huge, huge trip. Um, and we did go to India. Indonesia, unfortunately, had to get taken off the, taken off the um, drawing board because it didn't fit in with the flights and everything. So still hadn't been. Have you been, have you been now? I have, yes, okay. I have now, um, but I haven't spent very long there. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, so basically we did that. And then, you know, we ended up in two months of it was in Japan actually. And there we, we did one month uh, with a homestay family in Tokyo and the rest of the time we were like traveling around. And that is when I realized like Japan just hooked both of us, right? Okay. Away. Like, Kai already had uh, an interest in, in Japan, uh, mostly because he's into cars. <laughs> and, you know, he was uh, very drawn to um, Japanese culture already, but I knew nothing about it. And there was just something about that just clicked for me. Like I loved it, he loved it. Um, and we had an amazing time with our homestay family. Um, they really like made our trip something very, very special. and. Uh, we just we loved it and we were sad to leave but of course we had all these other exciting places that we were going to so you know we kept going you know next was Egypt so off we went and then we uh, you know continued on this on this trip and then you know our homestay family actually uh, the, our homestay father he had a sister in um, in America and he said you know what like we've been thinking about visiting her you know um, why don't we come meet you when you go to New York at the end of the year um, so we all ended up being together in New York and uh, that was the last stop of our trip. And I was wondering why Pi was being kind of weird about us not going to the Empire State Building together. Because I'm like, why wouldn't we? Like, you know, we're going around doing all this stuff together and it was a bit strange. I like, okay, whatever. Like, we'll just go another day. Anyway, it turns out that he was planning to propose at the Empire State Building. So we got engaged at the end of that trip, basically the last day of that trip on top of the Empire State Building. <laughs> how, how old were you? I was uh, 22. Oh, so young. So young. 
Like yeah. I probably didn't think so at the time, but now when I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I was oh, so young. So nice. Um, so that's kind of how we like ended that trip, you know, came back, came back engaged. And um, basically what I had done during that, that year was I had deferred my fourth year of my university degree. So I could have finished at three years and got a bachelor's degree in Australia, but I had wanted to do my honors year and make it a four year degree. Um, but I had basically decided because I was, you know, doing this uh, job at the university and, you know, I knew that I wanted to travel as well. So basically I took the year off which was very, very simple process in Australia. Like basically went to the office, sign a form, that's it, see you next year. Yeah. So um, uh, came back to uh, do my honours honors year. Um, so came back engaged and uh, I ended up doing, uh, I was able then to use my Indonesian language again, which this kind of comes up again and again, and it's been very interesting how it's come up in my life. So basically I was able to get a, a scholarship to um, do some research in Timor-Leste, which is East, also known as East Timor, mm-hmm. and who, um, were, um, who were colonized by uh, Indonesia. So a lot of people there, I mean, the population has grown up speaking Indonesian at that time only very young people didn't know how to how to speak it and so uh you know again through my my professors and things knowing that I spoke the language they said hey there's this opportunity like I really recommend that you you know you think about it and and go for it and so I remember taking the scholarship call at the at this hostel in Bolivia and I asked the guy at the reception desk if I could use the phone behind the desk and like taking that call and um, doing the interview and everything. And um, yeah, ended up doing all of my field research in, uh, in East Timor um, and yeah, conducting all of my, uh, my uh, research in Indonesian and interviewing people there. And people were very, very, very gracious in in using it. Even at that time, I was not, it was not lost on me that I was using the language of the colonizer. Um, But it, their people were very, very gracious and said, you know, this is a common language that we have. So let's use it to communicate with each other. And, you know, was able to do, um, have amazing conversations there. And that's basically, yeah, what I was doing my research on was around the, um, the elections that were happening, the first democratic elections that the country was independently um, organizing themselves. So I was able to go in as a UN observer and uh, observe the election process and make sure it was run you know, fairly and smoothly. And so I'm a bit of an election nerd and political nerd. Like I love that kind of stuff. And so <laughs> that, what a week to be, what a week to be interviewing you. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I've been nerding out over the U S elections, like the process of it, you know, and uh, so yeah, basically that's what I was doing at that time. Um, and so yeah, came back from that. I finished my thesis, um, and then uh, worked uh, for another year. This time I was doing um, a different position at the university. Um, again, in research position. Um, and this was at the same time as doing your honours. So yeah, I basically I, I was at the same time um, and and after as well. So I was at that time, I was doing my, my honors and um, 
I was also doing some part-time work at the university. When I'd finished, they were like, come full-time because we need, we need someone who speaks this language and we're doing a lot of projects in this area. So that's basically what I was doing. Um, so I, and just to, I just want to stop here and note a few things that, that, that are coming up for me. So the first one is that you just have this incredible work ethic. Do you have any idea where that comes from? Because I know where, I mean, these days, as, as you may know, my goal is to only work 50% of the time I'm away. That's, but I'm nearly 50 now, so, you know, I'm like, that's my goal, um, which sounds terribly gauche, doesn't it? But um, I want to model a, a good work, a good work-life balance for people. But um, when I was young, I also had an incredible work ethic. Like when I was at university, I was working in pubs during the day and evening, day during the weekend, evening. And I also captained the badminton team. I was also like, I wasn't the most amazing student. I was also like a party girl. So how I did all that, I don't know, but I realized that my parents were both teachers. And so they basically had two jobs. The first job was to be at school during the day and teach people. And the second job was to come home and then mark all the books and prepare the lessons for the next day. So, you know, a lot of that kind of entrepreneurial stuff that you and I get involved with, where you have to do lots of work behind the scenes and there's no particular working hours. I was raised with that. Plus they were really active in the community and they also did sports when we were younger and the dad when he, when he was older and all this kind of stuff. So I, I really see that both my brother and I got this really strong work ethic and can-do attitude towards towards life a lot and I can see that with you this incredible work ethic it's like oh I thought you graduated by the time you got this job with the university doing the Indonesian interpretation etc no you were still at university then you popped off and did a, a kind of gap year then you came back it's like it's really interesting so that's one thing I just wanted to note the mm -hmm. second thing is I like when you said like logically it made no sense so that's that's also interesting to me from the coaching perspective is there's that time because and I, I'm knowing you quite well, not not super well, but quite well as well. I know you like to do your research. You like to be thorough before you make a decision. You like to kind of assess it all. On the other hand, it seems like sometimes you just go, do you know what? Logically, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to use my instincts or intuition to to make that decision. Tell me where I'm wrong. No, that's absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. And then the third thing is just a very practical and historical thing. So when I hear East Timor, I hear what's reported to me through <laughs> the different colonizer lens, not the colonizer lens that you were talking about. So I just think of this place in conflict where this is this and that and that. But you're telling me a very different story. And that's just, you know, I've just got goosebumps on my knees thinking about that because it's like, again, it's just like this constant revelation of like, of, of this, it's just endless, isn't it? This kind of revelation of what, of, of information being delivered from all kinds of sources. And they're all research. The sources that they come from are research. It just depends on which lens you look at them through. Now, I'm not talking about kind of conspiracy theories and stuff like that, where you have to look at things through all these different lenses. No, I'm talking about places where things are well-researched and historically lined up and they can still make sense. And we tell the stories in the same way, but they just come out. And that's why this is called legends. Because the way you're telling this story today could be different to the way you tell it tomorrow, but it's still all true. <laughs> you know, it's not, yes. some, <laughs> it's not some fantasy, it could be a fantasized version, I don't mind, to be fair. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, um, it's just very interesting. You know, I, I always, before I do each interview, I always go to the, to the dictionary definition of legend and it says something along the lines of 
uh, a story that may or may not be true, something like that, like a, an account, it's like an Arthurian account of something that may or may not be true. And that's why I call it a legend. I think some people may mistakenly think, be like, that person's not a legend because they're not like some epic star like Michael Jordan or something or Serena Williams or I don't know, Bill Gates, you know, walk into any bookshop, throw a stone and you've got a, 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 a book about Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. And mm -hmm. yeah, these stories are just as interesting to somebody going in their garage as to me. So um, that that so it, it just really highlights that. So three things, your work ethic, um, the use of intuition at times or the use of something other than logic to make your decisions. Plus, um, the, the way we tell our stories influences the, the way that they the, the way that they land and colonizer lenses and all different yes. kinds of lenses. Very yes. interesting, Jessica. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that, because if not, we'll just move on. Yeah, let's move on. All right. So what happens next is the question. Yeah, so what happens next? So you're engaged to, to how you come back, you complete your degree. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Um, and uh, during, uh, we already decided uh, that we wanted to move to Japan. Like we'd okay. already made this decision. Yeah. Like we thought we love Japan. Like how can we get back to that place that we yeah. love so much? Um, and so basically when I finished my university degree, we said, okay, will the next year, we'll work, we'll get married. And during this time, we'll prepare ourselves to make a move to Japan. Um, so um, I was working at the university during the daytime. And then at nighttime, I'd go down one level and I'd study Japanese two nights a week. So did I. Um, and I remember at that time, because, you know, I was now in a situation where I was like working side by side with these university professors who I, um, who were teaching me um, during my uh, course. And, you know, like I was on the same level as them and see, saw them every day. And I remember that uh, at that time, like the, the Japanese department was also on the same floor. So I'd have to, every time I'd go to the printer around exam time, I'd have to be like, I'm gonna go use the printer. Are you, pr are you printing any exams right now? So like, I wouldn't be able to see it. Um, and yeah, I just, um, at that time we, we knew that we wanted to go. So we said, okay, like let's, do our best to put ourselves in as best position as we can to hit the ground running, at least know some basics because the first time we went, we didn't know anything. Um, and there's part of that that I absolutely love, like jumping into a place and having absolutely no idea how to read, you know, anything that's going on around you. I think Japan is an amazing place for that kind of cultural sense, like that overwhelm like sensation. But uh, we decided if we're going to live there and work there that knowing more would be beneficial. So um, we'd already started planning that. And so we did that all throughout the year. Um, we, we got married and you know, we, we, paid, we wanted to make sure that we paid for all of that ourselves. And then, then we'd save enough money to be able to go and live in Japan at least for a while without having a job so that we'd have time to kind of work things out. So yeah, six months after we got married, we were on a plane to Japan and uh, we just landed there, like we didn't have any jobs. We went on a working holiday visa, which is an amazing like visa. If any people who are listening under 30 who have the opportunity to do it, like it is the, the most amazing um, way to be able to travel without, you know, being tied to a job or anything like that. Uh -huh. And 
so we just went on we went with that we got it um we uh didn't have a permanent place to stay but we had those amazing homestay family friends um who were like please come back and stay with us again and so they really helped us for the first few months of our stay we stayed with them how long they, did you sorry jess how long did you stay in japan for total well from the time that we uh arrived and the time that we like left um just more recently it was a period of a decade um but as you'll probably hear we had periods of time where we were traveling outside um of the country right so i'm interested to get into kind of so i'm, I'm assuming just tell me where i'm wrong again that you you went into english teaching in order to support yourselves yes yeah so oh, we do. Yeah. you know this is the it's a standard kind of story for 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 japan um but what how so when did notes of nomads i must uh, notes of nomads please listen there's not from nomads that's a different look <laughs> <laughs> notes of nomads mm -hmm. um and travel solo anyway when did that so you arrived there you did your working holiday visa initially you got you got a job you were staying with your homestay family you got jobs then but you were also traveling at the same time going in and out is that right um at that time no we just stayed in japan because we all like there was so much to explore around us yeah, and we were so happy to be there amazing. you know so we just we were just like enjoying japan and tokyo yeah. and just like this so there was so much going on we we just i think like the, especially those first few years in japan um were just really like some of my best memories. I just really was just enjoying myself, even though I felt like some of the work that I was doing wasn't necessarily forever or anything like that. I was just really enjoying being in that place um, and just immersing myself in, you know, all of this uh, stuff that was going on around me. Um, and so basically, yeah, we, we stayed um, for a couple of years. And like during that time, I was doing some volunteer work with Oxfam and things. And I was organizing monthly, you know, pub quizzes and doing many events. And at one of these events, I met somebody uh, who was telling me about Peacebook. And I was like, okay, what's Peacebook? And I suddenly learned about this, you know, amazing opportunity that you can go teach English on this you know, ship that circumnavigates the globe. And you know, it was very, very different to a regular cruise. Um, as I know, you know, and you've had guests on before talking about it. It's, uh, there was just something in that, in that moment, I was like, okay, I went that night, I went and researched and I had a lot of my goodness, like, I have to do this. And I was like, yeah, I think you should do it. It would be amazing for you. Um, and so basically the next year that I was in Japan, my, my goal was to get on the 73rd voyage. Um, and everything I did was basically to, in order to uh, make myself, uh, put myself in a better position to get on that. So I, I did all like English certifications, you know, teaching certifications to try to um, up my skills. So I had some formal qualifications behind what I was doing. Um, in so, order you to your, so at that point, you decided to do that kind of very scientific thing of getting things together. So this is kind of against, so, for, for listeners this is like the, the the other side of using your intuition it's like you line up the real world stuff that needs to happen yes. in the real world in order to make you more valuable more likely more more um more skilled actually yes yeah. yes and i thought like if uh even like whatever happens i know that i put myself in the best position i could have put myself in and mm -hmm. i won't have any 
like I wouldn't have any nagging feeling like, oh, what, what if I had done this? You know, what if I'd spent more time preparing for it? You know, yeah. so I just basically said, okay, I can do these things. This is in my power. I can have these things. So I will get that done. And so, um, yeah, long story short, I went for the interview. I got it and I got on the 73rd voyage as I'd planned um and you know went on this trip by myself so i was staying in in uh, tokyo scandalous to leave your husband behind i know so many people thought so like the amount yeah. of people who just could not mind believe blood. yeah like, could not believe or there must be trouble in paradise right because <laughs> why would you why would you leave your husband for three months you know ah, like, so that's where the, the travel solo anyway blog was uh, blog yes this is uh, where it was project. born before it was born you know like, yeah, I had it so it was born yeah. I had so many interactions with people you know um then and subsequently who just uh couldn't believe that that was even an option it's mind-blowing that one could take that much time away from their their husbands or, or wife or <laughs> and that it's and that's viable and that it's it's available it's trusting it's whatever you decide your alliance is there so peace boat so peace boat basically that did you do a full voyage then all the whole thing yes I did. was it yeah, a, yeah. was it a global north or global south trip uh global was it south. both pardon Global, Global South. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was like incredible. Um, and what were your takeaways yeah. from that, Jess? How did that like what was the, what was the kind of evolution of you through that? Well, interestingly, one of the big things that came out of it was again Indonesia coming back into my world. Um, and it also I credit Peace Boat to being the start of Notes and Nomads and everything because this was before I had a blog, before anything. Um, and basically this voyage was happening right after the, um, right after 3.11, the, um, the Tohoku earthquake that happened in 2011. Oh, and, um, and we left in, in that. yes, and we left in April. So, you know, this ha you know, it happened in March. So it was still very, very fresh. And they were still, they were wondering like, should we go? Yeah. basically should we cancel this this voyage is it is it right to do this you know whole thing when so many people are suffering yeah but then in the end they decided to to continue with it because um it was a way that we could we could come together and band together and and um you know try to do something positive around it um and so basically during the during the voyage there were some meetings especially towards the end they said you know we're doing activities on the ground we are looking for volunteers to to help us um and so I was like wow like this is something that I really feel strongly about because you know like Japan has given me so much this is a way for me to to give something back I'm in a position to give something back at this moment so I you know I'm willing and able to go that's interesting because both uh, then in that case we have a we have a connection around that because around that time I was the president of um, few for empowering women in Japan a professional networking organization and peace boat became our sponsor that year and I actually oh, really? to, yeah I went up to Tohoku two or three times with peace boat um, wow. um, and the British Chamber of Commerce I think were the so at the time you were you were traveling, I was connected to, in that way. So that's an interesting little connection that both of us yeah, have. Absolutely. Yeah, just let's just just take a moment to honor that that was on the back of a 
unbelievable tragedy, an unimaginable Absolutely. tragedy. And when I say unimaginable, unless you stood there and looked around, it, 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 the, 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 the caverns of your imagination, I don't think are big enough to open that, yeah. frankly. And so no, uh, maybe they are, I don't know, but it's... Um, so anyway, I just want to make, take a moment to honour the people up there and their, their, um, their trials and tribulations. Yes. So um, you come back from Peace Boat and yes. then what happens next? So then you come back into like post 2000, because it was a very clear before and after of that. Like, yes, I, I yes. Guess, um, like I have to remember that there was before that. And now there's after that. After. My whole life is, is through a totally different lens. Yes, uh, and I live by the sea now as well, so I'm constantly like vigilant where my tsunami escape routes are. I don't, it's not funny, but yes. it's you know, it's yeah. ironic. So, um, <clears throat> where so so you come back from Peace Boat, you've got all this kind of knowledge and etc. That you've uh, Indonesia cycles back into your life, you realize that life is about more than you, and there's, there's things that you want to do out there in the world. What happens next? So tell me about the next phase. What comes out of that? Yeah. So the next phase was basically like we'd been back. I could be I'd been back maybe a week or so. And hi and I go up to Tohoku <laughs> and uh, we are camping out on the grounds of the university and, yeah. you know, um, where everyone was at the time. That yeah. was kind of volunteer HQ. And then, um, yeah, we went we went straight into that. And I felt like, you know, I had spent so many days out with the fishermen out on boats and, and, you know, trying to help them recultivate oysters and things like that. And I just felt like, wow, like these stories are not being told, you know, these are, you know, the, the international media at this point, you know, it's several months down the track, right. We're already into like late summer of that year and much of the international media had moved on. And I felt that, it was so important because like, even at that time, even though I'd been away for several months and was coming to, you know, uh, coming to the area after, you know, several months of, you know, volunteers being there, it was still unimaginable. Like the scene, like, as you said, you know, like the scenes that you see up there, it's just, it, it just was beyond imagination. And I just, I felt like we need to keep talking about this. We need to make sure that people understand that, this is not a short-term thing you know these people and are going to need our support for such a long time and the rebuilding process is going to take a really long time and you know i think that these stories really need to be told so that's when i started the blog um it wasn't called notes of nomads at the time um i started off under another name and then it went to my name and you know it changed it had a few different iterations but basically yeah the first things that I wrote were all stories from the ground. Um, and I still keep them up on the blog, even though they're like, they're, you know, definitely not like SEO friendly or anything like that, but I will always keep them there because they are the beginning of everything. And they are also so meaningful to me because of the people I met up there. Um, so th those are the, that's basically how I started into this world of travel blogging before I realized that that's exactly what I was doing. Um, and so this is interesting, Jess. So what are you saying then that you look at travel through the lens of telling the stories of those places yes. uh, rather than telling the story? I don't know. Okay. It's I mean, both of my story. And then sometimes like, I mean, there, there's my personal story right. that is through all of it. 
but uh, when I go to a place and I and something is not my experience, not my personal experience, then I feel like I want to give the mic over to someone else to be like, you tell me what it is for you, rather than me coming in necessarily and saying, this is what it is. I can say, you know, this is my experience and, you know, this is how things were for me, but I also want to, uh, I don't want to put words in people's mouths. I want to give them the opportunity to say what they want to say um, and, you know, tell that, like use my blog as a way to, to get that story out there. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it was definitely, you know, part of my personal story and things I learned, but also, um, especially at that time, it was really about what can I do to help people understand what it is and what is it that you want people to understand about this process um, and what's going on here. So um, that's kind of where it all started. And, you know, at this time also I'm thinking about like, what is my next step? You know, I've had this big, you know, massive change with Peace Boat, you know, like I've met all these different people and, you know, on, on the boat you are, I was working as an English teacher, but you are also uh, responsible for um, creating different events on the boat. Um, and you have to uh, do, um, basically, you know, you can pick anything that you like, but you have to self-organize some event. And I was thinking, what, what is my event going to be? I had some ideas before going on, but then when I got on the boat, turns out that um, my housekeeper for the cabin was Indonesian. A lot of the crew were from Indonesia. And suddenly I'm using Indonesian every day again with the crew and everything and became sort of like friends with, with the crew. And um, it, I thought, well, like all of my students uh, were coming to me and saying, like, how do you say this in Indonesian? How do you say that? Like, I wanna talk to my housekeeper too, or I'm fall I've fallen in love with my housekeeper. Like, how can I tell them like, blah, blah, blah. Like, tell me all this, you know, language. And I thought, well, what I can do is, uh, do maybe like a Indonesian sort of 101 for people who want to know like how to you know say good morning or you know whatever to their to the crew and uh, so I ended up doing that and um, it was quite an unusual situation because I, I wanted my housekeeper actually to teach with me um, and I thought that that was uh, it was it was it was just very like it was very obvious to me that I should have somebody there from um, who is a native speaker and uh, and I just thought it would be a wonderful collaboration to do together um, rather than just me going up there and saying you know um, how to say things so um, it was not very usual but I got special permission from the captain for the housekeeper to actually come up onto that level of the boat which is usually not allowed because they are only allowed in certain areas and they're not supposed to really be mingling necessarily and with, uh, with with passengers in certain areas of the boat so he was able to come up from his usual like area and come up and teach with me. Um, and we did that together. Um, and so basically based on that experience, I was like, wow, I'm like, weirdly, like I'm reconnecting again with Indonesian, which I hadn't really, you know, I hadn't thought it would have such an impact. I didn't think it would have such an impact on my life. Um, and I thought, you know, wow, I should really go to Indonesia because I still haven't been, right? And so <laughs> I, you know, I decided then that I would get a job in Indonesia for a while. Let's see. So basically three months after I returned from Peace Boat, I was in Indonesia and said bye to hi again <laughs> for <laughs> another three months. Um, and, and I you stayed in, in Japan at the time, did you? stayed in Japan, yeah. yeah. So that year, basically I spent uh, six months with him and six months without him. 
Um, and yeah, so I ended up in Bali and um, again, like this uh, really expanded my uh, horizons. It's where I also then started, okay, like now that I've finished this volunteering, I've gotten all my stories up about volunteering so far, at least, okay, like now I'm in a different place with another story to tell. Maybe I can write things about where I'm staying in Indonesia. Um, and a lot of things did happen. Like I was attacked by a dog and had to get five rabies vaccinations. And it was just a lot of stuff happened during those few months. Um, and I was able to um, yeah, put up some stories about that. And this is, you know, um, I ended up not staying in Indonesia longer than three months. It ended up not being that particular uh, opportunity didn't feel like the right one for me. Um, and so again, I just listened to my gut and which was telling me go back to Japan. And so I went back to Japan and that was already like at a point where I said, you know, if you want to stay in Indonesia, I'll move. Like, we'll just move it if you want so to go. How do, so how just, how do you navigate those relationship conversations there then? How do you guys navigate that kind of negotiation or is it just so, is it just baked into your relationship? What's the, yeah. like it must seem mind blowing for some people. My husband and I spend quite a lot of time apart. He used to go on quite, you know, quite long business trips to Chile and, I used to go on, I used to go home for like months at a time when, you know, and stuff like that. These days we don't quite so much, but how do you navigate that? Like for some people that just feels scandalous. For me, it's unbelievably empowered, very radical. I like it a great deal. It's not the first time someone's asked me that question <laughs> and it's, and it is really, it is really baked into our relationship. I, yeah. I don't really know what to say to people when they say like, how do I, you know, how do I have that? Or how do I do that? Or how do I have that conversation? It's, it's something that is really rooted in a very deep respect for one another. Um, and Hai has always told me that he never wants me to not do something because of our relationship. He never wants to stand in the way of a life that I could have had, you know, if it was just the fact, you know, if I'm staying there for him. If he's going to force you to be the, yeah, okay. And you're not oh, allowed yeah. access, or you're not offered access to the bank accounts, have some babies and then, you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Interesting. Um, but as, as I hope we'll get to, um, Hai has an interesting story as well, which might also be, uh, you know, might, might also influence his ability to, which is not, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, we haven't even mentioned that yet, but like the kind, it's, it, it's so, it's, it's, it's such a threat to the patriarchy, this story. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, he's not from that, so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah yeah like his story is so radically different and again I'm not I'm not going to tell that story for you so um we, we are getting towards the time time's up so let's um let's 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 move it on a bit sure so uh Indonesia so you come back from Indonesia but so so basically what you're telling me is that it's baked into your relationship there both of you have different kind of perspectives on things. You have a very different lens on things because of the way that you were raised, but also these kind of experiences you've had, perhaps interpreting and seeing things through a different kind of lens. Hai has a very different background as well. 
you come together, you get married very young, which is also like, woo, <laughs> for our yeah. generations anyway. Yes, yes. And, um, and, and then you just, you go off on your own multiple times. And it's, again, many, many ways to lead a life. And this is why it's interesting to ask these questions and to, to, to let people know what's available, what's available based on just shift, slight shifts in consciousness or sh slight, slight shifts. That's not easy to say. Slight mm -hmm. shifts in, or mega shifts, depending on who you are and the way that you have conversations and what you, and I don't like this word, but I'm going to say it, allow each other to do or make mm -hmm. available for one another. Yes. Um, I mean, this was pre-children for you as well, yes. but again, that's, <laughs> so that's probably something that's, that's shifted too. I don't know. I can't, you know, who knows? And also we're in COVID, so we don't even know what that looks like after, you know, 2022 or whenever things get back to the new normal, whatever that yes. is. I best yes. guess that we'll always be having some travel restrictions in the future, but that's just my prediction. Yes. Um, again, this is November 2020, so that <laughs> prediction could have come, if, if somebody's watching this in the future, drop a comment to tell yeah. us what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Um, okay, so um, yeah, back to Japan then. So you've yes. been to for three months, you come back. Come back and essentially, yeah, like uh, to cut a long story short, we stay for another couple of years. Then, you know, by this time, the blog has kind of started blossoming into something bigger. Um, and we're getting more and more people... <laughs> Well, I mean, it was sort of accidental at first, to be, to be honest. As I said, I kind of went into it just with the idea of telling a story. You know, yeah. that this story had to be told and then adding some more and then, you know, started getting a little bit of feedback from people and people commenting. I'm like, wow, okay, like people are interested in this and that kind of motivated me more to write a lot more. And so essentially it was a lot of me just spending a lot of time creating content. You know, I was so excited to be in Japan and I spent all like all of my free time going out to festivals, doing stuff, collecting information, coming back. And, you know, even though I was working, you know, at that time I was working at an English conversation school part of the time. And, you know, I finished work at 10, I get home at about 11 o'clock, have something to eat. And then I'd be writing again for the next couple of hours. And I did that for a couple of years um, just to be able to get that. That content was so important for me. It felt so important for me to share with people um, and I was so excited to get that feedback from people. And so um, basically I, it started going from there. And then I sort of felt that, wow, like this is very Japan centric. And as much as I love Japan, I really want to tell stories from other places too. You know, I felt, I almost started having this panic of like, oh, wow, like I'm, I'm spending so much time here that I'm not seeing all this other stuff that I want to see. Um, so then we decided, okay, like let's go travel again. So we ended up going for um, a year and a half. Um, we didn't know at the time how long it was going to be. It was just like, let's, let's go. We planned uh, basically going from uh, taking the, the Trans-Mongolian and Trans-Siberian Trans Trans uh, train from Beijing all the way over to uh, Moscow. Um, so we were going up like, yeah, through China, Mongolia and across Russia. Um, and before that, we actually did, and this is sort of important, I guess, maybe to the later story and high story is that we did go to Vietnam. Um, and that was the first time he had been since leaving Vietnam. Why does this relate to high story? He was, uh, he is Vietnamese. He was born in Vietnam. He uh, 
left as a refugee when he was a young child. And How old? He, did, he was about one and a half, two, so one and a half, two years old. So he doesn't remember it. Right. And uh, so for him, you know, he's grown up in Australia and he is obviously very uh, influenced by Vietnamese culture. And he, you know, he spoke Vietnamese at home and he still speaks it with his family and he has a sense of the culture, but he has never been back to Vietnam. And so for him, it was like going to Vietnam essentially for the first time. And we decided to go to his very rural hometown along the Mekong Delta and just spend some time there. Um, at that time, he wasn't really ready or was, wasn't looking to sort of pursue his ancestry or meeting perhaps a distant relative or anything. It was more just to see like, where do I come from? Like, what was the place like that I grew up in? And yeah. I remember we arrived there and he was like laughing. He's like, wow, I was a real country boy because, <laughs> uh, you know, he's always grown up in the city here. He didn't have the countryside experience that I had. Um, so he's always lived in, in uh, cities. And um, so his, his childhood was quite different. Um, so to see that he actually came from a very rural area was, um, you know, that was interesting for him. Um, so, yeah, basically we, we took this trip and um, it was amazing. Um, although it was harder in in many ways at that time, it was very different to the first round the world trip we did together, where we didn't have a blog, we didn't have anything, and we right. just went out and traveled. And now we're feeling this sense of responsibility to get content out. People are wanting content now. We have social media. Now we have you know like YouTube. We have all of this stuff, and we started a YouTube channel on that trip, um, and it became very overwhelming. Like we found that we were just like, okay, we have to stay in one place for like a month. Like, let's just rent out an Air Airbnb for a month just to get all this like blog stuff done. Um, and we were finding ourselves more and more as we went along wanting to slow down. Like, we're like, okay, let's do a house sit. And like, if we saw a house sit for a couple of months, you know, in some place, we're like, oh yes, that would be amazing. Like we can just stay there and, you know, just sit down and do stuff. And we will really, I guess we are starting to become very tired. Um, as much as we loved the traveling bit, the traveling and working bit was totally different. Um, and so we were kind of trying to negotiate what that meant. And, you know, um, but things were looking good. Like that's, I think, you know, basically yeah. 2013, 2014 were really a turning point for our blog. You know, that's when we, uh, you know, we did uh, get like several awards. We were able, because we were traveling and we didn't have a set plan, we were able to go to, you know, massive conferences in Europe and, um, and meet people and you know we we met so many of our blogging colleagues who we knew only by name or through their own blogs so it expanded our horizons a lot we were able to meet so many people in person and develop those connections and um so essentially yeah we we do all this we end up uh being chosen as uh, two of the top 50 travel bloggers in the world to go to this uh conference in sri lanka and uh sri lankan airlines is sponsoring the flights and they said, when you leave Sri Lanka, we'll send you anywhere in the world that we fly to. So before so, we go on here, Jess, I just want to ask you at this point, how many followers do you have? Oh, gosh, I I, I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, I would say at this time, probably in terms of how many people were visiting our website per month, it was about maybe 25,000 at this point. Wow. Okay. Um, and so, you know, in today's terms, not so many, um, but we are, we're, we're building and, uh, and it was, you know, a, a quite a long time ago. And, How about you know, we're, followers? 
YouTube followers, um, probably a couple of thousand, maybe. Um, we didn't really, ju we jumped into that like maybe just a couple of months. Uh, like we, we only had done it for a couple of months, I think, before we'd, uh, before we came back. But okay. it was, it was difficult to, it was difficult to be like filming, like recording, coming back and editing and trying to get things up. But we had started it um, and we did have quite a few things going up. Um, and we were starting to get into video at this point um, because video is a very, very different skill to photography. Yeah. And um, so it was something that we were kind of learning as we went along. Right. And so yeah, we just kind of yeah. constant building like this. These things come in, you keep building and then you keep trying to skill up and adjusting your skills, like really being very professional about it. Another quick fire question for you is, yeah. um, what's your most popular post or YouTube video and how many views did it get? Yes, uh, that's interesting. I might be able to answer this for you. <laughs> it's, often, it's often the ones that you don't expect, yeah. I think, that are the ones that blow up. So, Is um, it about a Japanese toilet or something like that? It isn't yeah. about a Japanese toilet, but although we have one about an onsen that people, that's been quite popular. But yeah. um, we, I think that the most popular one on our YouTube channel is actually one about cinnamon and where cinnamon comes from. And I think it's nearing about 400,000 views at the moment. Wow. Um, oddly, that one took off um, thanks to SEO. When you think about uh, YouTube as being, you know, the second uh, biggest uh, search platform on the internet, um, you know, it's it's a place where people can find, uh, you know, this information. And I, yeah, it's been strange, like some of the things that have, have been popular. But yeah, I think that would probably be, um, that's definitely the most popular video. And the most popular blog post is probably uh, one we did about Kobe beef. And yeah, some Japanese related um, blog posts. Um, I remember, yeah, I got quite a lot of backlash from the American beef industry while we were traveling <laughs> when that one went a bit viral. Um, so it's, Oh, wow, uh, so then you become political porn. I did, yes, yeah. Um, and that one sort of, yeah, that, that post has been consistently like up there as the, the most popular for, you know, probably seven or eight years or whenever I put it up when it's like 2012 or something, I wrote it. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, whole, it's interesting. That's a whole other thing I'm going to have to drag and drop from my thing where it's like, oh, wow. So you don't get to be in control of your stuff because then outside influences start trying to, big business starts trying to influence you. Yes. Yes. Um, and that's something that is really, you know, I've, I've been very guarded about the kinds of things that I put on the blog. I've always been very, um, very uh, careful about the things that I share, the things that not in terms of like that I don't share things. I share a lot of vulnerable things on the blog. I share a lot of myself on the blog, um, but I do want to keep it independent, um, which has often led to, you know, me having to decline certain opportunities where people want to influence the content because I want that I want the readers to always trust that this is our independent point of view and um well isn't it, that interesting Jess because for every person like you there's probably 50 people who have taken that on and then it looks like it's their authentic voice but actually it's all sponsored by somebody yeah and that's something we've had to grapple with is certainly you know we have uh, lost yeah. opportunities because of that or haven't made as much money because of that. Yeah. But it's something that I I still stand by um, and I don't regret making that decision because it's it's definitely something that 
I think it's so important just to hold that trust and respect for the readers. And uh, if they don't trust you, then ultimately, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. That's really interesting. Is it, uh, the word I'm going to use is integrity. There. Mm. Um, on the, I, I mean, I don't, I honestly don't blame anybody for wanting to make some money, but there's plenty of ways to do that. Um, yeah. Interesting. But as a viewer, it's always good for us to have in mind that, that there could be that running underneath other things. I think that's really important for us to kind of understand the lens through which we are being diverted in order yes. to kind of help somebody to, and again, I don't, I, I want people to make money. I want to give people my money to, to purchase their goods, but yeah, um, amazing. Yeah. Good one, Jets. So let's move, let's let's fast forward a bit further into your, into like, so what happens after that trip? So you did that trip and you were exhausted and you were trying to do all this video and I know you're incredibly diligent as well. Um, and uh, very, very focused and very, what we say in Japanese, majime. Yes, I think what you're <laughs> trying to, yeah. <laughs> serious, I think it means serious minded and very, yes. because um, as, you, as you can see, as you can hear uh, listeners, Jess is not not an unfunny person. She's a tremendous company, but very focused and very um How would you translate? It's almost like I'm a bit of a sort of perfectionist, or it is sort of like hardworking, or just yeah, being very dedicated. Um, dedicated, yeah, yeah dedicated maybe is a good one. I think yeah, dedicated is a good word. Perfectionist, you're. You can't be a perfectionist and churn out the mo that much content without having a nervous breakdown, actually. And yeah. I think that's probably where you were heading That's, that's where I've been. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I've been, certainly. <laughs> like, that's, the, that's the, yeah. the, the difficulty that I was facing, right? Yeah. Like, how to then get the content out without... To make sure that it was at the level that I wanted to be. To make sure that I was fact-checking. To make sure that I knew that, you know, I was sending out something out into the world that I, you know, I would be happy to put my name to. Um, but that is, it, it's hard. It's very, very hard to to, ju to juggle that. And It is hard uh, to juggle that, Jess. I, I, I really, I mean, I, I admire you, but I, I admire you. And I might also admire somebody who goes, you know what, I'm going to take $100,000, well, however many, from, from the American Beef Association and make that part of the focus of my, I might admire that too. You know, as long as it was transparent, mm -hmm. like sponsored yes. by the American Beef Association, uh, unless it was like Kobe beef is a myth or something like that, then I'm like enough. But, <laughs> um, uh, you know, whatever it is, their cows aren't really cows. <laughs> you know, I don't know, because it goes, it, it does spin out into that area. It does, yeah. But um, yeah, that it, it's like, anyway, I, I think it's really, it's really interesting to hear these different approaches to doing things and and people's integrity and so on. And we have to review it all the time because at the end of the day, we need money to live just as the woman who works in, you know, the gap needs money to, to sell the pants mm -hmm. or, you know, just as the person who works in Gucci needs money to sell the, the belts, you know, it. it <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, but it's interesting that you've stayed out of that kind of murkiness. Mm -hmm. Murkiness. Anyway, that that particular way of doing things. Um, so let's get into, let's get a bit more up to date then. What, what yes. after that trip then, 
I mean, there's so, been yeah. some massive life events that happened to you following this and some brilliant, brilliant essays that you wrote. And I'm going to let you take the lead on this. Sure. Yeah. So, at, yeah, as I said, we were in Sri Lanka and we we're about to fly out and they said, where do you want to go? And we said, Japan. Mm -hmm. We're ready to go back to, we need to be in a place where we can just be for a while, <laughs> a place that we know and a place where we can just kind of regroup and decide what's next. Um, and so then, you know, basically started to get more into the travel writing in Japan. When we got back um, very soon after, we won a, a, an award um, in Kyushu, a, a tourism award, and that took us to different places. And then Kyushu is we, the southernmost island. No, no, the southernmost main island of Japan, this, right? So that's right. Four main islands in J in the archipelago. And yes. that's uh, it, well, it, it's not exactly south. It, see, it feels like it's south because in my mind, it Japan does, yeah. Sausage, but it's not like a sausage, it's more like a hot dog. <laughs> so it's kind of down here, right? <laughs> yes, exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so um, we started getting into more into, you know, doing the, the travel writing and photography side of things. Um, and, you know, but during this, this time, I'm starting to think, okay, like, after a year or two, trying to build up, you know, like videos and content and things, and then thinking about like really trying to look inside myself and think, you know, what is it, what is it that is next? And, you know, at this point, you know, I'm getting into my thirties and I'm starting to think, is family going to be part of our story? Like, are we going to have children or not? And I start to, to think about that a lot. It starts to consume me in a way, like I'm just thinking about it all the time. And I was, I very honestly was in this place where it's like, I didn't really mind either way, have children or don't have children. I'm happy. Like I have a good life. I have so many opportunities to do things. Um, but I was, what I really wanted to, to feel was some kind of sign or some feeling of intuition that has guided me in so many other you know, ways in my life to tell me which way I should go. Because in every other situation, I've been very drawn to something. You know, those trips that I took overseas, that leaving the job, you know, at the university, that felt just so right. And I was in this place where it's just, I didn't know which way was right. I could go this way, I could go that way. And I have no idea which way I want to go. And, you know, it's something that I felt like I wanted to, I just wanted to be clear about. Like I wanted to, I wanted that decision to be made because I feel like there's a relief in, in having decided to do something or having feeling like something was the right path. And I was very well, it was interesting because a lot of people asked me, and like, what was it that made you feel that parenting was something that you wanted to do? And honestly, it was just something that I just started to feel like that was the right path. There wasn't any particular moment. There wasn't any, you know, like epiphany or anything. It was just one day I woke up and thought, yeah, I think I do. So it was deliberate kids. then, your your pregnancy was deliberate. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so very much so. And I, so I started thinking, okay, what, again, I went into the science area and thought like, okay, what do I need to do in order to prepare for a pregnancy? Do I need some vaccinations? Do I need like, you know, whatever. And so like, I start going to these, um, to these uh, doctor's appointments and things to, to, you know, talk to them about like what I would need to do. Um, and, you know, obviously that's not, 100% necessary but I thought you know I'm in a position where I can do these things right this is something I can control I don't know what's going to happen in terms of pregnancy or anything but I can you know 
put myself in a position where like I can protect myself or, you know, like things like that or protect the baby by having these things already done before. So what happens next? Yeah. So basically I, uh, I go to those things. I hadn't even like told high about that. Um, I knew that he really wanted to have kids and he would be happy, very happy if I said, okay, like let's have children. Um, so, but I, I just went and did all those things, got everything ready. And then we decided that we'd start a family and I did end up becoming pregnant. Um, and I found out just before our 10th wedding anniversary. Um, and we were about to go to Taiwan for that. Um, and so anyway, like I found out before, but I decided to tell hi in Taiwan. I thought like, I'll tell him on our anniversary. Like that seems like a nice time. That to was do, your right? empire state building moment. That was my empire state building moment, right? So I didn't want to just be like, oh yeah, by the way, you know, <laughs> because it was such a monumental thing. Um, and so um, we we went and what ended up happening was, you know, I told so Jess, him- can I just ask you quickly, are you going yes. to just tell us the story frankly now? Yes, if you okay. would like me to. At this, I would love you to, but I just want to put a quick um, note in here that if any of you have been through any kind of loss of pregnancy or children or anything, that we're going to talk about that now. And I just want to put in a quick um, note to prepare yourself or to just let this be where you where you finish your your journey with Jess. Okay, Jess, thank you. Thank that's you. very important. Thank yeah. you for mentioning that. You're welcome. Um, I, yeah, so basically we, we went and, you know, our anniversary came and I told him and we're all happy and um, starting to think, you know, I'm already like running through my mind about, you know, getting a doctor or whatever in Japan and things like that. And um, unfortunately, I did have a miscarriage at the end of that, towards the end of that trip. And uh, so, you know, ended up in Taiwan, in Taiwan. So a place where, you know, we, we don't live, we don't speak the language and you know ended up at the hospital there and you know being told that yeah it wasn't like I, I already knew in my heart of like I already knew like because of what had happened before before that um you know the the bleeding and everything and I just I went there and I I I already knew like it was just something like I can't explain like I I didn't as much as I I you know you always hope that something is different but I knew I knew that that was the that was the uh the end and um so basically went through that there and ended up having to you know a few days few days later going back to japan meanwhile like the miscarriage is still going on it's something that takes time to complete um and ended yeah, up back i didn't realize that i think i don't yeah. I, even as you're saying that it's a good reminder for me that it doesn't end uh, it do, yeah because in my mind it's like and it happens on the day and then you're done but no right. it doesn't it continually sheds is that right yes yes that's right I mean it's something that I also didn't understand much myself honestly yeah. um, until I had this experience yeah. and uh you know you do think that it's something that's like oh you're pregnant and then oh unfortunately you're not pregnant anymore but no your body has been preparing for this pregnancy building pregnancy tissue you know growing this embryo and this fetus right so there is there is physical matter in your body that has been you know has been building up into this pregnancy so that needs to um, be gone from your body, essentially. So um, it is something that is quite a, quite a process um, and it, it took time. Um, I ended up having contractions, which I didn't know was a thing about, uh, that happens with um, some miscarriages. 
And this was happening on the airplane as we're going back and it was all happening. And it was just, I mean, I have the whole story on the blog if anyone is interested in reading what happened from yeah, the beginning to, to the it. end. I'll link to um, the story on the blog because it's it's an essay well worth reading because it, it for anybody at all, anybody, at, no matter what age, I think it's an essay that's well worth a read. So I'll link yeah. to it in the show notes. Yeah, so I, yeah, essentially that had happened. And then, uh, you know, coming back from that, then we were just sort of thinking about, you know, we took a, a New Year trip and everything and just like uh, went out and like, it was like a, a part of the healing journey, I think. Um, yeah, just going out and like traveling again a little bit. And um, very fortunately, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I was able to get pregnant very soon after again. Um, and, but then what came into question this time uh, was, okay, what are we going to do? Like we had this sort of, we had this conversation in Taiwan when we thought, you know, like we were having that first pregnancy that, you know, like what's the next step? Like we're living in Japan at the moment. Do we stay in Japan? Do we go? Like what, do we go back to Australia? You know, how are we going to, what is the next step? Um, and that's, uh, ultimately, uh, you know, it was, as you know, Sarah, there was so much back and forth and it was just, it was a very emotional time for me. Yeah, it was very, it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Because your heart, like uh, there's so many people I know who lived in Japan who just like that part of their heart still lives here. Yes. And it, they find it like some people mourn so badly that they got into depression. Some people mourn so badly. They still talk about it now or want to start something Japanese in their you know, if they've gone back to Europe or America or something like that. It's a funny, funny thing. It's a funny thing. Yeah. And it's very, it's something that I found is, it's not necessarily unique to Japan, but I find it's something that is, happens very often with people who have been in Japan. Yes. Uh, there's something about it. I don't know what it is, but it just gets into every part of your body. And I feel the same. Like I've left part of myself in Japan. Japan will yeah. always be a part of me. Um, and so it was very, very, very difficult to make that decision about what to do next. Um, but we honestly had been feeling, be even before the baby, a little bit stagnant in what we were doing. We're like, okay, what are we going? There, there's something come. There's something coming up here, you know. Um, and what is the next stage going to be? So we knew that something new was going to be on the horizon. But the timing of it then became dictated by the pregnancy. Because if I was going to be leaving, then I need to be on the plane, you know, at a certain point um, before, you know, they won't allow me to travel anymore. And so then it kind of just, yeah, we made that decision to leave. And then it was basically this huge international move, um, ended up back, you know, like I traveled, we traveled back when I was seven months pregnant, and then basically straight into trying to work out a life here again, you know, like sorting out where we were living, um, sorting out, like go going to the hospital and kind of getting back into that system, which is totally different to the Japanese. 2019 system. that was, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, and so this is like, yeah, basically from, you know, mid-July we got back um, and uh, ended up I'm having, having PTSD a baby. from that time. <laughs> I know, I know. There was no, so I'm much that was going I'm having, on. I'm having memories. It's like, oh, that's right. Because as a coach, I get to witness people's stories so, so clearly. But because I'm a coach as well, what I do is I just drag and drop whatever's happened and then move on to the next thing and then drag and drop and then move on to the next thing. So being reminded of all this, it's like, 
oh yeah that's right that happened at that time <laughs> you're like yeah oh, I'm sure you remember Sarah I'm like actually I just need to just reach back <laughs> so it's a good reminder and it's a good reminder of how people's stories evolve and come on and who knew that COVID-19 was going to happen as well exactly yeah yeah that's something that we obviously didn't know was going to happen so uh you know we ended up uh, having the baby in, in mid-October, uh, a little bit past the, the due date. So we were like, yeah, anxiously waiting for that to happen. And um, thankfully she was born healthy and well. And, uh, but obviously it's a huge transition to go from someone being not a parent to a parent. Um, and uh, then of course, like just a couple of months into her life, COVID starts coming into the situation, into the, you know, um, into our world and, suddenly things are starting to shut down. Um, you know, the world is slowing down. We're spending all of this time at home. And, you know, here in Victoria, in Australia, we have um, had some quite strict um, restrictions been going on, especially the last couple of months where we've had a, quite a strict lockdown, um, which we are just coming out of now. Um, so it's, it's this, it's been a very strange time where we're, you know, both new parents and also, navigating the business world in a different way where you know like suddenly you know we've gone from traveling all the time and not just traveling all the time but also working in the travel industry and getting money from that yes and having that being totally turned on its head um almost overnight you know and then just being in this very strange space where it's just like okay we can't travel there are many things we can't do we can't even go to a store you know for example like to buy stuff to in order to you know make this new project a reality or um you know all of these things so it's been a time of you know uh reflection and i've also had to learn a lot to be just okay with being in a certain place and just letting things play out and know that certain things are not in my control um, because in many other aspects of my life, I have been that sort of person where I'm like, okay, I can go out and get that thing. I, I need to do that. So I need to do ABCD or, you know, whatever. Whereas this was like, well, I can't do ABCD right now. So what am I going to do? And so it's been a very, very strange time. Um, and we are just coming out of it now. As of today, we can officially go anywhere in the state, um, which is huge. Not out of state yet, but it's it's huge. It means, you know, I can go back to my hometown and see my parents. I can, you know, I can go, you know, somewhere, you know, outside of the area that I'm living and uh, we can and we can go, we can go places. And it just feels monumental because it's not just that, you know, shops are opening back up again and life feels like it's returning somewhat to a semi-normal state. Um, and it's it's quite weird because I don't know how to be social anymore in a way <laughs> like even just going out to a store feels very very strange um and so you know things have changed a lot and now we're thinking about now we're moving into okay what does post-covid life look like or what is the next step in our and lives? let's be very honest about this Jess as well this has been very taxing on your business hasn't it absolutely yeah so let's, absolutely. let's make no mistake about that and and if that's not the same for every business some businesses have thrived during this time and other businesses and so you've had to be very creative, but I also want to just honor this. Look, you like, you, you did a country move, you moved from Japan back to, back to there, seven months pregnant. Then you had a baby at the same time as you were recovering from losing your first baby. 
and and then lockdown comes but you're also navigating i just want to put this against the backdrop of you're also navigating being back around both your family of origin and your your in-law family who live very close to you yes so it's it there's this and, and also all the different kind of cultural melange of that and what by that i mean all of you are aussies but i mean like we, we touched on conspiracy theories earlier but there's a bit of that there but we'll just park that over here for now <laughs> but just that whole thing about the different ways that people navigate the covid19 situation the yes. different ways they choose to <clears throat> protect their children and so on i'll leave it nice and loose <laughs> But so this whole new set of things to navigate from being this kind of like these free this free couple with award-winning travel blogs enjoying this kind of free life to being in this like strange I mean still very privileged and still being able to eat every day and still being warm and dry and all that you know let's not forget that um as we as we have our like <laughs> pity party but i also want to honor all those things that came like bam 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 it was a lot and even though it's it's a really really hard time for you business-wise and you're having to innovate very deliberately and very <clears throat> creatively um it it's um it's a lot <laughs> i it feel like you're coming out of it though i feel like you're emerging at the moment somehow tell me where i'm wrong yeah absolutely i'm feeling very much this sense of possibility right now and i don't know where that is going to lead um which you know can be anxiety inducing but at the same time i'm choosing to focus on the the excitement of that uh, because i process i think yes yes like I've, I've been feeling like something has been emerging for some time but it, you know, there's been so much going on. There's been so much that I just haven't been able to see a clear path at this point. And I honestly now don't see the clear path no. yet. Uh, and who knows where it's going to go, where we're going to go from here. But it definitely does feel like there are possibilities. It definitely does feel like uh, we're moving somewhat in the right direction. It certainly helps that we are coming out of lockdown here and we're getting that kind of um, momentum or that kind of feeling that things are changing um, and that we are moving forward. Um, so I'm definitely feeling that sense of, you know, something something is going to, to come up and just trying to stay the course and just listen to, try to try different things and listen to our intuition about, you know, how we're feeling about different things. Huh. Good to know. So it's good timing that we're talking as well. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to kind of take a, I want to just finish with this ancestral journey that you've been on. So do you mind if I mentioned the course that we went through together? Oh, that's fine. I'm fine. Yeah. So Jess and I did a, um, uh, it's not really a course. It's a lifelong journey really, isn't it? I suppose it's a lifelong examination and I don't know how you look at it but this is what I think anyway well, a few months ago I was called in on the back of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, not movement but the well yes on the back of Black Lives Matter and during Covid and and just everything that this last government in 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 America has revealed no matter what your politics I'm just going to put it like that and then the Black Lives Matter thing um one of the 
people I would consider one of my mentors, Dr. Frantonia Pollins, had advertised a, 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 a course called The Evil Behind Your Love and Light, which was aimed at people like me, who are kind of coaches who have a spiritual element. Actually, it was probably aimed, I don't know if you think this, Jess, because I don't think that I fully fulfilled that remit. I kind of visit there, but it's not the, it's not the full thrust of my, uh, I, you're a client, so would you say that? I think I do. Yes, I definitely feel that. Yeah, it was a different. Uh, I think the the core clientele of that course was was quite different to anything. Well, it's quite different to what you do, and it's definitely very different to what I do. However, um, very yeah. very relevant, right? Yes, absolutely. I think it's. I I would invite anybody to go and see it, and it is. I, I think I could. I I could go either. I could veer into that area if I'm not vigilant. But it was that. It was kind of challenging that. love and light only positive vibes only and so on which it results that is very very damaging to especially women of color and especially black women the diaspora so it's so it was it was very eye-opening on six billion different levels and now you'll understand when we were talking about some uh elements of colonialism earlier that 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 this kind of comes back to this that's interesting we went through that together and we can continue to have conversations about it so we keep it in the front of our minds and we keep our not centering our own experience and keep trying to listen to that voice but one of the things that we were called in to do and I think you and I are both trying to do to do the work by the book in some kind of ways because if we keep trying to question it we'll we keep recentering ourselves and not understand does that make sense yeah absolutely (laughs) so one of the things that we've both been doing is to visit into our ancestry and dig into our ancestry and it's actually pulled out an enormous amount of and this is what we've been called in to do it's like don't try and heal racism (laughs) because (laughs) you have lines going back in your ancestry which need to be healed too this is the kind of thrust of it and so we've been going back and so first of all you have to go back and this is what's been very revealing in both lines for you um for me I've got a wee altar up there that I go and visit every day with pictures of my grandparents and interesting my mum texted yesterday the other day and said oh it's the 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 anniversary of her mum's death Mm -hmm. uh, last week which was 23 years ago she lived a full and uh, an interesting life she was 86 when she passed away so I don't ever feel kind of too sad about that I just feel very I just feel very loving towards her and that but I felt sad for my mum on that day because she was obviously thinking about it you know she's in lockdown they've just got into lockdown again so it's just that kind of perfect storm of stuff but not in a morbid way but in a really lovely way and lovely way but also in a very reflective way of like oh I carry a lot of ancestral damage and harm that's mm-hmm. not only done not only you know directly on my family but whatever they participated in in the past um so and, and this goes for anybody so it's it, so that's you know and especially for somebody like me who's got a little bit of an activist streak in them and I think you also have that kind of sense of justice and so on or wanting to help kind of in you pulling mm-hmm. away from that and putting it back inside yourself while at the same time being active in the world mm-hmm. has been a real learning for me and I've absolutely and I wouldn't say I've loved it but it's 
it's probably one of the biggest learnings. It's easy to do a course, write the things down, cite the references, cite the science, put up a blog post about that's easy, but this is not. <laughs> it is easy in a way because you're still just at home safe doing doing it, but it's like, oh, you constantly have to keep bringing yourself back to the work, back to the work, back to the work. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm only talking for myself now, Jess, and I don't think I've ever articulated this before. Oh, I absolutely agree. Yeah, it's what really came through for me. As you said, like, you know, certainly in my, my case, I wasn't working in that area at all, but it was high, this course was highly relevant to yeah, anybody. And it just made me understand that a lot of what, like a lot of the work we tend to do is external and that we don't often read, we don't often visit the internal as much as we need to and reflect upon ourselves and I realized that actually you know through that you know I don't know a lot about my ancestry I know a little bit of here or there um but you know it's something that I've been starting to feel a little bit interested even before the course um and this is something that's interesting that has been happening is like since we got back and you know going through we went through the house like the childhood house that you know I grew up in and basically during that time, you know, finding, we've been finding little bits of, of his past, of his history that he didn't know. Can I just give the backdrop to this in a nutshell is, um, if there's anything uncomfortable, I'll edit this out for this, is because Hai's family all escaped Vietnam or what, is that what you'd say? Like kind of, yeah. they were refugees, is that correct? Yes. yes. Um, and they, they did that in bits and pieces and not everybody made it, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there's there's huge gaps in the family history, including documentation, including the stories that would have traveled with people. And those gaps, some of them are scientific, they're just very practical, like the paperwork got lost on the way, or mm -hmm. these things that actually all refugees have to face is this kind of massive gaps in their kind of personal documented history and so on. But then there's also the gaps that are left by the trauma of having to do that and people not wanting to tell the stories until they're ready. And I think that, uh, would that be fair to say? Absolutely, yeah. Or not asking those questions. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you have to be incredibly mindful of that because you're a curious party. Mm -hmm. And I think that the most beautiful example of that was you were talking about when you visited High's childhood village and you were like, Wow, you know, and I suppose for him as well, you start to see the faces of people who could be uh, related to you. You're super curious, or I would be super curious, like, let's get stuck in and ask some questions. But like, maybe the other person's a bit like, do you know what? I'm good. Let's get back on the, the, the scooter and go somewhere else. And yeah, so, so meaning that those gaps exist not only because of documentation or historic or storytelling but also just because people need to be ready to to get back into that and yes. face that kind of stuff and this relates very closely to the stuff we've been doing and you know uh yeah all families have these secrets I mean my grandma herself like started to tell us the truth when she was on her death literally on her deathbed you know like the years one or two years before she started telling us about her mother who we'd been told died of cancer when she was two but no she hadn't she just she just left her and gone mm. off you know and so it's like oh so we have a 
we have a great grandma floating around somewhere in the ether, you know, it's like, mm. and then you have to kind of rejig these stories. It's so, it's, I, I, that's just the background that I want to give to this because it's so different to anything I've ever, any approach I've ever made before uh, on mm. this kind of thing. So why don't you tell us a bit more about this? So what you've learned about your family, which is enormous, right? You've got this enormous family and then what's yes. coming through on the high side. Cause with the, with the birth of your daughter, of course, suddenly the family starts getting more interested. The, the, the Vietnamese side of the family starts getting more interested as well. Or you're mm -hmm. more interested because you want Micah to know more about her past. And then that kind of sweeps people along with you. I don't yes. know exactly how this has worked out, Jess, but why don't you take it from here? Yeah, sure. So definitely um, the birth of our daughter sort of made us very curious about, but well, we're starting to think a lot about what we want to you know pass oh, down to her high on board yeah so that's sort of the thing that kind of like clicked for him um and he was just like well i want her to know her vietnamese side right but i don't really have the information to tell her now he's sort of feeling ready to take that step Got to it. find out more for himself um and you know finding a few you know bits of paperwork here and there and, and finding like a few little bits of the puzzle um has really like sparked, I guess, yeah, this flame to um, to to wanting to know more. Um, and so, you know, obviously, you know, high side, it's very clear that there's a lot of gaps, right? There's, you know, things that we don't know, things that haven't been asked, things that we can find out, but yet hadn't been in that position yet or feeling ready to take that next step. Uh, but there are there's a lot for us to learn on that side. But then I also going through this course and then like reflecting on on myself a lot more, I thought, you know, while I do know a little bit more about where I come from, I also have a lot of gaps. There's also a lot of things I don't know. Um, and so I started getting curious about it. And then jumping into this course where, you know, a lot of the, you know, the presenters and the teachers were saying, you have to know where you, where you came from. You need yeah. to know you have ancestors too, right? There's sort of this kind of thing where we think that ancestors are only for people from, of, for people of color or from tribes or from you yeah, know some so we have the indigenous people but you know everyone has ancestors everyone has some you know story some lineage so it's uh it, it really made me think yeah i actually need to dive into this um and so that's something that i've been um been doing uh, myself um particularly over the past couple of weeks been um, diving into my ancestry um, and fortunately I do have some things to go on because I do have some members of the family who have been curious about some things in the past and have put together some elements of the family tree and things so I've been able to trace it back um, to my 10th great-grandfather um, which is insane where's and that and in Europe so somewhere. yes uh, actually in Germany so I always was told like as I was growing up oh like we're, we're Dutch we're Dutch um, and because, you know, my parents, uh, my, my both from my mother's side and my father's side have Dutch ancestry. So I know that my grandparents, uh, my maternal grandparents both came out from Holland. Um, my paternal grandparents both did as well. And my, my father was actually born in Amsterdam and the whole family came over by boat. Um, and so like, I've always thought, oh, like we're, we're Dutch. But it wasn't until, and actually I did know this a little bit before, but I hadn't really much about it I, I did discover that my grandmother my paternal grandmother actually was German and I was like okay so like there's some German ancestry there as well uh, but it turns out that even my grandfather has if we trace it back far enough 
it ends up in Germany as well. Um, so it's it's been very interesting to discover these things. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm digging in and I'm just finding so many different connections. Like yesterday, for example, I found out that a first cousin twice removed was executed in a Japanese camp in Indonesia. And here we have Japan and Indonesia just coming together again, just out of the blue, right? Um, and just there's, and you know, how did they come to be there? And you know, the whole, um, there's just so many questions I have now about that's that little branch of the family tree. Um, so there's just so many, so many things that are coming up. Um, and I guess I, I can't say how like, how interesting and how rewarding it has been and how it's, it's something that I didn't know that I was missing until I started going deeper and uh, understanding that, okay, like I'm part of something bigger here. And it's also gave me a, a greater sense of what I'm doing in this life too. You know, like you're always talking, Sarah, about like the seven generations either side. And it's, I do feel like, while I've always felt like it's important to, to do good work in this life, you know, to leave, you know, um, you know, this planet in as good a shape as we can, for example, I did feel like, okay, this greater sense of the impact of what I'm doing on future generations, you know, and seeing like what's come before and then, oh, okay, I'm in that position right now. Like I'm in that position to then create some kind of legacy or, you know, I'm in a position to either, you know, cause more harm or do more healing, right? So it's, uh, it's something that has really made me think like, wow, I have, there's so much I can do regardless of what I'm doing outwardly in my life, regardless of my job or anything it's something that I am now feeling this great sense of, you know, that I can, I can do something that's going to, to live on in a different way. Not maybe not in the way that people traditionally think when they think of a legacy in terms of, yeah. you know, like how well you do in your, in how your many corporate books world you or whatever. Yeah. Right. Is there a statue it's, it's for a you? Did you name exactly. a library? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's going into that area now. Yeah. Love it, and and I've just got the tagline for your uh, for you, for this for this uh, uh, conversation, which is cause more harm or do more healing. Yeah, love it, love it, because that I mean, you know, that's that's what it comes down to. I think in total, actually, of both our work, mm -hmm. how can we do that? And this this ancestral stuff, it's just so interesting, isn't it? And I think this is a nice kind of place to. To wrap up I mean I would love to talk more with you specifically about some areas one about you know that that beautiful essay you wrote about losing your first baby and then this and also about you were very frank about your birth story with uh, your your daughter as well your second baby and um but also this ancestral stuff I mean I could talk about this all day now it's been and and I want to be very clear I'm doing this not out of curiosity, actually. I'm doing this because I've been called in to do less harm and do more healing. That's why I'm doing it. And that's, mm -hmm. the, the, that's at the center of it. And the curiosity, I guess, is just a nice little side order in a way. Yes. Um, the other thing I was just thinking as you were talking there about like, oh, Germany and Holland is, is also one has to understand the history of that part of the world as well to understand that whole thing as well because that's been quite fluid I mean I don't even know I'm from Europe I'm from the UK but like I 
don't really, I'm just thinking there was Prussia. There was, you know, there was, um, when, when Russia went in and took some of those and was, you know, caretaking some of those countries earlier on in this last century, when, you know, there's, 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 there's Napoleon, there's, I, there's that, that whole area itself has been fluid and all, all land masses are continually doing that. So it's, um, it's a history lesson in, in itself. And maybe though, that, that, uh, you know, sacred circle of, um, black indigenous and women of color who called us into this work knew that when we yeah. were being told to look into our ancestry that if we're truly smart and the penny truly drops that we also need to understand the history of that land and yes. that we need to understand it not only from the points of view of the people who we've been told to read it from mm -hmm. as well. absolutely so it's uh it's uh uh yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's like past the parcel, isn't it? You just keep opening it up and opening it up and opening it up, but it's amazing <laughs> work. So, Jess, do you have any closing words or any words of wisdom for the listeners? Which is a, an awful question, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> do you have any closing words or anything that you feel like you haven't said? We've been on for so long. Thank you for your generosity. No, no problem at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry to uh, have gone on so much, but. Uh, it's, you know, really, I mean, I would just say, just do the things that you are interested in doing, like follow that inner voice. If something seems interesting to you, see where it leads. You know, like a lot of people said to me, like when we moved to Japan, oh, it was so brave of you to go there and, you know, you didn't have a job or anything and you just like, or you just went to a completely different place. But for me, I don't feel like that at all. Um, I felt that there was no risk at all if I go to a place and if I keep a little bit of money for a plane ticket back home, I can always go back. I can always change course. I can always course correct. I can always do something else. Um, but the, the what if, yeah, the what if, if I didn't take that step, right? And that's the same thing I'm feeling with the ancestry as well. What if, you know, what if something is actually different than what we think it is. Um, and just putting yourself out there to, to just follow those little breadcrumbs to, to see where it goes. And if it doesn't go anywhere, that's okay. Um, but who knows what kind of life it could open up for you? Who, who knows what kind of information or, or healing that it brings you? Um, so just, I guess, believe in magic and 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 listen for it <laughs> and what say in our group uh make it huge let it be huge yeah let, let it be huge yeah, yeah let it be huge you know let like let those little things uh be sustenance and to uh to carry you forward into uh into finding yeah more about yourself and who you are and uh just yeah explore those those different paths um and don't necessarily worry about what society has told you that you know you should be going down this path because I've certainly bucked that trend many many times and uh you know it's so very much yeah just uh yeah do you yeah just keep keep going and exploring those little those little uh voices inside that tell you to to look into something a bit deeper and you never know what you'll find gorgeous thanks Jess that's absolutely brilliant where can people find you yeah, sure. Um, so uh, the easiest place is probably just to come over to uh, notesofnomads.com. 
nomads, uh, there you can find nomads all one word dot all com. one word dot com um, there you can find like all of our social handles uh, you can send me a message um, and you can find yeah all of the relevant information there mm-hmm. and that's notes of nomads.com brilliant Correct. So, <laughs> so much jess it's been an absolute treat talking to you what a I feel like I've been on a round the world trip myself. <laughs> like um, you just learn. I learned so much about people I know just by asking these questions and uh, you know, they often report back also that it's been quite an interesting uh, experience for them to talk about themselves. And that's one of the reasons why I do these is because, because I get to witness people's stories every single day. Um, and as I say, you can go into go onto any big name podcast and you'll see the same group of people cycling around but I there's so so many different ways to lead a life so many and and I want to report them I want people to see how the twists and turns and the downs and the you know the times when people are just like desperate on the phone with me or you know crying in my office or but also the joy that we have of like when you told me you were pregnant or all these different stuff the second time is like all all these all these these stories and all the the what Steve Jobs and again Steve Jobs is the person we quote so often like joining the dots backwards is I hope it gives people heart I hope it helps people to take heart and to to understand that there's not one linear uniform way to do things and that there and that we can recover from great 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 disasters and traumas and 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 get on paths and follow things that are going to 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 have some influence seven generations back and seven generations forward and the most the simplest way to say about that is when you look into your ancestry is you know you've for me, certainly my parents get a lot off the hook for a lot of things because they just become part of a whole line that comes down and actually ends in me because I chose not to have children. Um, but it doesn't really end in me because my DNA goes on and it's not just about DNA either, to be fair. It's about the legacy that leads, that, that, that comes off from you too. So it's, it's uh, it, this, this is such an honor and privilege to do this series these, and to tell these legends and to share these legends with, with, with uh, the people who listen just love it and so then we can start to create and design lives lifestyles and work styles that we can be proud of but knowing that they can always twist turn change and um, as Jess said following your interests sometimes people are like find your passion it's like really (laughs) how often do we feel that kind of flush of passion (laughs) I think they're interesting you too you follow those little seeds that start to kind of push out the dirt and yes. and start to to show interest and yeah thank you so much for listening and um i'll speak to you uh soon do share this um this podcast if if you found it interesting and pop over to sarah for your coaching okay bye bye Thank you.
Thank you so much for listening to this latest legend on the Sarah Furuya Legends podcast. Hop over to sarahfuruya.com where you can find the full complement of uh, Legends interviews and conversations. Also, you can like and subscribe over on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. I absolutely love these interviews and these conversations I have with these people. I don't care about subscribers if I'm absolutely honest. It just helps to get more people over to listen to these fantastic people. I cannot wait for my next interview. I really hope you can get stuck in and find some juice and some delightful little nugget of knowledge or encouragement from these that will help you to create your story and to take your story forward and to weave and dream up and high dream your own story. Buoyed up by the stories of these people, I would call them ordinary, they're not. But these people, these beautiful legends who I've selected to help you on your way and to help me on my way. So please enjoy, share, subscribe. My Facebook page is Sarah Furuya Coaching. My Instagram page is at Sarah Furuya Coaching too. So get into it. Thanks. Bye.